0: This is Inspiring Sports Stories, with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything.
1: This is Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Bower and O'Day. Today, we've got a special guest with us, Scott Waters. He's had a many varied and accomplished career in football. He was a great player, a great junior player, actually, with one of our most famous teal cup teams back in the mid 1980s he was an inaugural member of west coast first grand final team in 1991 an inaugural player at Fremantle, a valuable player at sydney a premiership coach at subiaco and an afl coach at st kilda as well as a successful assistant coach at collingwood he's had an unbelievable career in footy he's doing valuable work in the community now scott welcome Duff, how are you? I hope you're well. I am, mate, and I hope you are too. Are you still based in Melbourne these days? No, look, I've been with my wife and my three
2: boys. We endured half the COVID lockdown, 144 days of it, but then we took the opportunity to move up to northern New South Wales. So... Little town on the coast called Cabarita, right near the Gold Coast border. Pretty good beaches. I'm not going to say they're as good as Perth, but there's some uh, there's some nice surfing and some nice water sports up here.
1: Good to hear. So, mate, uh, life treating you well. You're keeping yourself pretty busy these days. Yeah, well, for anyone that's got kids,
2: they know how much that um, you know that sort of uh, occupation, if you like, really drives everything you do. So, three teenage boys now, fourteen. Sixteen and just turned nineteen, so um, yeah, so much of what you do revolves around them, and it's a it's a great journey watching them go through their journey.
1: Let's go back to the start of your journey, back to Fremantle in your early days, and obviously junior footy. I think it was at the Coogee Juniors, is that right? Well, they were one of our arch rivals, Coburn Junior Footy. Coburn, you were a swim- Coburn swim-
2: boy. and I played together at, uh, at Coburn; it was a great time.
1: So, how old were you when you first kicked a footy? Oh, gee. I, I think it was around
2: six or seven, and even uh, and that was at Coburn Junior Footy Club. I think Summer, who was a year older than me, we sort of started playing together around under 12s. But even in those days, straight away you were looking towards South Fremantle, you know, aspiring to maybe one day play a game of footy for the Bulldogs. And you're watching, you know, your Morris Rioli's and Stephen Michaels, and um, yeah, watching them as role models, but sort of half dreaming that maybe one day you might get there.
1: I saw on Facebook the other day a grand final budget, as they called it, in the waffle. And it was um, there was a Little League match played. It was between South Fremantle and West Perth. I believe you played in that game. I think John Worsfold did. I think Peter Sumich did. And I think Alan Djakovic did as well. Do you remember that? One-one apiece you drew.
2: Well, I certainly remember the names. And there are, there are others as well that were some that didn't go through and play AFL footy that were just outstanding young players. So you remember that group really fondly. But I tell you what, when you got your chance to put on the South or Guernsey and play Little League halftime of the league game, and we did that a couple of times, that was that were big, big moments because you're out there in front of the crowd. And even though they will you know, probably eating a hot pie and paying no attention. <laughs> they were huge, huge moments, huge moments. And all of those players you just mentioned were already becoming really good players and they were great mates, so it was just a, a special time.
1: So you mentioned that Coogee were the great rivals. You were playing at Coburn. Who was running around at Coogee?
2: Well, Coogee were one of, so um, obviously Glenn and Alan Jakovic. Um, Glenn was a bit younger, a couple of years younger, but um, Alan Jakovic was the key player for Coogee so there was always that bit of rivalry, but at Coburn we had a really strong side. Johnny Warsfold played for South Rimantle Junior Footy Club, so we always had some great battles there. And then you'd play your, it um, wasn't your little league, it was, they used to call it combined footy, so you'd then go up against. South Fremantle District would play against, you know, West Perth and that's where you'd bump into a Chris Lewis or a Claremont and all of a sudden you'd play against a guy McKenna for the first time. So, you know, we all ended up becoming great teammates but um, we probably were adversaries uh, at a young age and then came together at West Coast.
1: And you mentioned that South Fremantle were a powerhouse back in those days. Who were your childhood football heroes, Scotty?
2: Uh, Look, I would hitchhike into Fremantle and try and find a hole through the gate behind the goals, um, hoping that a footy had come over and you'd you'd pinch your footy and run home with it. But I would go there to watch Morris Rioli, uh Noel Carter. Noel Carter was an unbelievable, a uh, very skillful centerman. Um used to love in watching Noel, Noel train. But there were so many, you know, there was Simon Althwait's and Phil Cronin's and Joe McKay's. These guys were larger than life, and this is obviously pre AFL but Yep, you'd go there down there as a 10, 11, 12-year-old. Again, and you would imagine yourself maybe one day, you know, how, how incredible would it be, even though it felt a long way off, just running out there and playing in a, in a Fremantle Derby against Etre Mantle or something like that.
1: The derbies were massive, weren't they? 20,000 strong crowds and a lot of feeling in those games. They were huge.
2: You know, people talk about
1: derbies now at
2: an AFL level, but whenever I think of a derby, I always think of Etre Mantle, South Fremantle first. It would divide the town. Those two teams historically used to train on the same ground. You know, if you're going back uh, a long, long time ago, and the rivalry is very real. You know, different shop fronts, they would show you that they were either Eastern Mantle or Southern Mantle supporters. And, you know, for a whole week leading in, there would be no talk other than who was going to win, who was going to play against each other. I remember one game we played, Brian Peak. You know, I think I was 17, 18, and there's 20,000 in at Fremantle Oval. They're lined up along the prison wall. and I'm standing in the centre there as a 17-year-old still going to school, and Brian Peake's in the centre as well, Um, and you're sort of pinching yourself in those moments. But they were were very special times, and the derbies were huge. So every other derby, I think, always falls behind the, the Fremantle derbies.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When did you first come under notice in what we would now call the Talent Development Pathway? Well, back in, back
2: in those days, really, in under-12s, under-14s, under-16s, you would get the chance to play in the combined sides. And that's where, I guess, the, the better players from your Coogee, Coburn, South Sea Junior Footy Club, uh, et etc., they would get picked and they'd come into one side. So you're probably starting to get noticed through those sides. And then the Colts... You get selected, obviously, then to go to South Street Mantle, and the under-18s were so strong. So I think it's really at that, that under-18s level where you're really starting to get looked at to potentially to play league footy um, at waffle level, and waffle was strong. You know, you'd have great crowds, and the quality of play in the waffle was unbelievable. And then, obviously, as the AFL system really started to come out of the ground... You know, playing well at Colts footy, getting noticed in your first year or two of playing for South Fremantle, Mantle then led to bigger opportunities. But there was a pretty defined pathway. And I think one thing that was important back then is your, your, your local club, whether it's Claremont, West Perth, Swan Districts, they really knew their own area. So you're on that talent radar for a long period of time. So Swan Districts, they knew who was coming through. Claremont, they knew who was coming through. I think that gets lost a little bit these days.
1: Probably someone like Mick Moylan would have been working in the South Fremantle area back in those days, would he? Uh, You've nailed it 100%. Mick knew every kid in the region. He'd be
2: talking to you from under 12s. He'd be aware of those representative sides at a young age. So he was already building those relationships. And then as Mick then transitioned through to West Coast, he already knew the Fremantle region in particular really, really well.
1: The 1985 Teal Cup team is one of our most famous junior teams ever coached by Grant Dorrington. We win the national titles in Perth. Tell us what you remember about that.
2: Doro was a passionate coach and he did a great job of really pulling, you know, that young group of all of us had stars in our eyes. All of us were sort of super competitive and seeing an opportunity. But we also, what he did really well is he made us really aware of the opportunity that we had right there and then to create history. Um and it's not often you get that opportunity to do something new or be pioneers and At that stage, no West Australian side had ever won the national carnival so that was that was seriously and very significantly our motivation and we had a we just had an unbelievably talented and committed group that came through and again, I laugh now, but the magnificent seven Guy McKenna right so Superstar went on as an a f l coach John Rosfeld you know revered leader went on uh, AFL coach, Peter Sumich coached at waffle level, Chris Waterman coached at waffle level, Chris Lewis, etc. not only did they have a great impact at under-18s, if you actually look at what that group contributed over you know, 20 or 30 years, I think they've all made a, a really significant contribution.
1: Absolutely. And of course, on top of that, there was also Paul Pios, who I think was probably the centreman and uh, the pivot in that team, and, uh, and Alan Djakovic yeah, was a member can. of that team as well. Yeah, and
2: I think Chris Waterman I I, I needed to mention as well. There were some terrific players. There's other players too, like a Brad Graham, for instance, that came through South Antle System, unbelievably talented, star player, but then actually chose really to go down the the horse training industry. He easily could have played AFL footy. So there were many in that side that maybe don't have the the reputations of the the seven or eight you mentioned, but they were powerful contributors and again, it's a team that gets the job done. It's never five or six.
1: We'll take a break there and we'll be back to talk to Scott about his, uh, his integration into the West Coast Eagles. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
0: This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This
1: is the Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. And we're talking to Scott Waters. Scott, we're going to move on to West Coast. But before we do, I think the last game of those Teal Cup Championships back in 1985, you played it as a curtain raiser to a big waffle game, didn't you? In, in front of a big crowd.
2: Yeah, we did. Lead of a oval. sorry, East Perth's home ground it was. And it was um, Perth, we had a great turnout yep. too. The, yeah, the WA crowd really came out because I think there'd been a lot of, obviously a lot of reporting around the opportunity. And it was um, it was a really significant day. And again, that crowd got to see some players who then went on and ultimately probably shaped a lot of West Coast's early success, without doubt.
1: So you would have been, when did you start playing senior footy for South Fremantle, What do you remember about your debut?
2: For South Fremantle, I was still in high school. I was 17, and that was really fascinating. Sort of, you're turning up to try and go to school, and then on the Saturday, you're playing in front of fifteen or 20,000 on the weekend. So that was a really surreal experience. John Haddo was the coach in that, that first year. we come through the Colts system. I think Summer, as in Peter Sumich and John Walsfold, had already played a handful of games, and then I, I got the opportunity to play on Fremantle Oval, which is... Um, I can remember being 10... Duff and thinking, if I ever got the chance to play one game of South Fremantle League football, I reckon I would have made it. So it was probably on that day where really all my dreams came true. To be honest, that was my main goal was just to play one game of footy for for the mighty Bulldogs.
1: When did it become um, possible that you were going to join the West Coast Eagles? Well, I had.
2: I was fortunate to win the fairest and best at South Fremantle as a young player and that I think that really cemented your reputation and West Coast were building and they had some priority picks to help build their list right at those very very early stages and you know obviously discussions with the club you're right under their nose you know performing at waffle level and like anyone needs to do you've got to build your credibility and build your game over years so look I'll forever be grateful for West Coast for you know giving me the opportunity and. Um, you know, John Todd was the coach. I was a huge admirer of, of Toddy being a South Fremantle boy. He used to his house was only uh oh, 4 or 500 metres away from where I grew up in Hamilton Hill and as a young boy I used to go across the park, kick the ball pretty much all day, hoping that John Todd would literally drive past and in some way I don't, I don't know where my logic was, but <laughs> I, was, I was hoping that he'd drive past and see me. So then to get my first game under Toddy No, there was a bit of serendipity about that, but um, he was just, and and still to me, is one of the greats of, you know, not just West Australian footy, but Australian footy.
1: Where was your AFL debut? Who did you play against? It was about
2: three weeks into the season. I was injured, did a hammy in pre-season, so missed the first two or three games, and it was on a, a Tuesday night. Toddy walked over to me at training, And I know exactly where I was on the ground. And uh, he said uh, his exact words. He said, how do you think you'd go if you played this week? And I hadn't played a waffle game that year at that point. And I looked him in the eye and said, I think I'd go well. And he said, well, you're playing. So it was against Fitzroy at the Wacker. And uh, the the other things that I can remember is in the warm-up running on the Oval alongside John Walsfold. Again, we'd known each other for years. And he just, as we were running and doing our warm-up on the wing, he gave me some real reassuring words, basically saying, just back your talent. So that coming from a mate just before the bounce down is another moment that I, I really remember. And I was fortunate. I think I had around 30 possessions in my first game. And back page in the West Australian the next day, Duff, it was a sort of a dream to do in many ways. So, um, but again, just always thankful that, a coach in Toddy and a club in West Coast, back you win and back you talented. You need that support.
1: 19 kicks, nine handballs, 28 disposals, Scott. You played three games that year and you played 10 in 1990. From memory, and I'm going from memory here, but you had a lot of soft tissue injury problems in the early going, didn't you?
2: Look, look, firstly, I think one, I was just very fortunate to still play over 100 games of of AFL footy, you know, and that's something I'm, I'm very proud of. But I'm also... I look back and continuity was a real challenge for me from an injury point of view I missed a lot of footy I think the most games I ever played in the season was 18 at Sydney which you know I think I ended up finishing runner-up in the first and best that year and mainly because I was on the park and got to get some continuity training so there's times when I look back and go geez it would have been nice to have more durability but then I look at certain players who have a, a really tough run, like a Lee Walker, three knee reconstructions. So you can sort of sit back and go, well, feel sorry for yourself. But I was still able to, to grind through. Would I have liked to have been healthier? Absolutely. But I'm also pretty fortunate to have had still a long career.
1: You were part of the push into finals in 1990. You played in the uh, qualifying final and the semi final. You were part of the push to the first grand final in 1991. What do you remember about those times? Because it really was a boom period for the club and for the national competition
2: ah uh, it was just building you could just feel momentum and hunger building that group of players many that we've mentioned um, also with some really great experienced players and hardened players like Michael Brennan someone that I've always really thought was probably an underrated leader at West Coast but there was a there was just a building of a squad you could really feel it even some of the losses you know the the drawn final against Collingwood which was you know, devastating at the time because we felt like we could have won it. You know, and then obviously the being in the game to three-quarter time against Hawthorne at Waverley and then letting that go, all of those moments lead to the hardened performance that you see in 92 and really built the foundations of the club. So talent, hunger, drive and a shared purpose and all of those things delivered a premiership, which um, was never easy coming from, you know, you're building a club from ground up you know, you're training at Guilford Grammar Oval at times with sheep on the oval, and you're, you, you, you know, you, you, you look at what AFL clubs get now, and if you go back to early West Coast days or even early Fremantle days, it was pioneering sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, you did hard yards at two clubs, didn't you, with no real permanent bases. I think the early days at Fremantle, you would have been getting changed in the visitors' change rooms at Fremantle Oval, if that, at times.
2: Yeah, without doubt. You know, the, I love the great facilities that Fremantle have got now. Um, I also love reminiscing and thinking, geez, think about where it started. And it was similar actually going to Sydney. Duff, we were we were training at, when I was at the Swans. We're training in the SCG, but very much that was a cricket ground, and we were just afforded small portions of the ground at that point too. So it was it was amazing to sort of be at three clubs that were all. Building or rebuilding And from that you're able to see What successful clubs need to build to I think West Coast in particular Have been one of the most outstanding clubs Of the last 30 or 40 years And I was fortunate To be there when those foundations were being laid
1: So you play 15 games In 1991 and that includes Four finals And you play 18 games in 1992 Which was the premiership year How did your time at West Coast come to an end Scotty?
2: Um Look, it was really it was very challenging. I played, oh, I don't know, something like 37, 38 games out of 40, a possible 43 or 44 or something like that. But I fell out of form at the the wrong time of the year in '92, and I found it hard to get into form because of also the probably the role that I was playing. I was very much playing away from probably where I felt my strengths were as a midfielder, and it was a stellar midfield growing too at that point. So this is not a criticism of Mick who was a coach or the selection committee, but I was in a back pocket playing negative tagging roles, which was sometimes it was really difficult to get those breakout performances to try and really consolidate. So later in the year, um, I lost my spot in the side and I can remember going to the finals games, particularly the grand final, Ben Ladley or Danny Ladley now and myself taking our bags to the game on grand final day and, with the final decision being made pending weather on that day, if it had rained, Nick had let me know that I was going to be a potential opportunity to play. It didn't rain. I didn't play. And that's, that's just the way it goes. I mean, it's a great opportunity playing footy, but it's tough and it's hard and there's challenges. And that was one of them. So at the end of that year, I really made the decision that for me to progress forward, I felt like I needed the role that was going to enable me to fulfil my potential. Never a criticism against West Coast, but it was the, um, I felt like I wasn't going to progress if I didn't go and chase that. And Sydney was... I, I loved playing my footy at Sydney. and uh, They gave me the opportunity to play midfield, played state footy as a midfielder the next year, uh, and had two really good years of footy.
1: We'll take a break there and we'll come back to talk more about Scott's time in Sydney and also in Fremantle and on to his coaching career. This is Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Bower and O'Day, and we're talking to Scott Waters. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything.
0: This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything.
1: This is Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Barrett and O'Day. We're talking to Scott Waters. Scott, it must have been difficult after the 92 flag to, to leave West Coast. Tell us about uh, that decision and how it came about.
2: Yeah, really challenging time because you're built, you're built to be a part of that and then on that day you're not a part of it. As much as you know your, your teammates want you to be, you, you're never quite part of it. But look, at that point it was a... I guess, a personal decision. It was after the season. I had a year left on my contract, but I just knew I wasn't growing in the role. Uh, So there were opportunities. There were clubs that were, you know, interested in me heading across. I went in three or four weeks after the season. I spoke to Trevor Nisbet uh, and said, uh, I know I've got a year on my contract, but I'm not fulfilling my potential here at the moment and I want to leave. He just about fell off the chair. Next day, I was talking to Mick. Mick really wanted me to stay, but I'd made my mind up. You know, 19, headstrong, but also I, I don't regret the decision either. I guess the, the interesting part, of the only club that they would let me go to was Sydney because they had a, a number one draft pick to exchange in that. And then Tony Begovic got involved in that trade as well. So they was six weeks into the following year, playing at Sydney. And as you would do, we had a stateside that mick was coaching so i've walked down to the breakfast we were meeting in melbourne and uh who do you reckon was the first guy down there was i was sitting at a table and then mick uh came and sat right at the same table so there was just mick and i and he looked at me and he said mate i'm still absolutely shattered that you're not with us as in being with west coast and i looked at him and said well there's part of me that's still shouted that I'm not there, but it was a decision that I had to make. And I'm standing by that. I've always had great respect for Mick. And I guess the full circle component of all of that is, you know, it was years later when Mick was watching my coaching at Subiaco and actually reached out and then asked me to come to Collingwood and become an assistant coach for him there, which was, you know, years later. So really, I guess from my point of view, always just really pleased that I've been able to maintain Sometimes you've got to make tough decisions. They're not always right, but they're probably right at the time. But we've um, we've always maintained a great relationship and I have high amount of respect for both Mick and for West Coast.
1: Tell us about your time in Sydney. You must have felt like a pioneer there because they'd had the Edelston era. They really had to build from the ground up again.
2: Well, club was on its knees. Um, Bucky was coaching, not getting a lot of support. There was a change in the coach and it was just really unlucky to be there at that time. They needed a brand. They needed a figurehead. They brought in arguably one of the biggest brands games ever seen in Ronald Del Barassi. So Barassi turned up and whilst his best coaching days might have just been past him, he had a presence that was galvanising sponsors and supporters (laughs) and community. It was tough on the park. You know, it was the second year Durham got recruited. And again, that was trying to attract more attention to the brand, the Sydney football brand. But it was really early days. There was barely a home training venue shuffled around from one ground to the next. But out of that period, it's only a year or two later that the Bloods culture starts to emerge. So the great thing that came out of that period were the likes of Paul Kelly, Darren Creswell, Dale Lewis. So through that, that real adversity of those couple of years, a really strong culture Started to grow and I think the great thing about Sydney when you go there to play Most people that go to Sydney to play have left their families behind they in other states So what that forces is that group of players and coaches becomes extremely tight And that's absolutely one of the reasons why Sydney is such a powerhouse culturally um, And maintains such consistency They are also one of the most outstanding clubs uh, in AFL history
1: Tell us about the shift to Fremantle for the Dockers' inaugural season in 1995.
2: Whenever I think about that, the first moment was a game at Waverley halfway through 1994. And Ben Allen and I were good mates and had played against each other many times. And I can remember just shaking hands with him. He was at Hawthorne, I was at Sydney, and it was sort of in the second half of the year. And the lure of, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Fremantle boy. Uh, that's my home. Um so the lure of coming back and playing for my hometown, not even my home state, my hometown, that was something that I wanted to be a part of. I've always felt that Fremantle's footy culture is is an amazing thing and to have an AFL team out of Fremantle, to me, that was very significant. So I remember shaking hands with Beno after the game and we just looked at each other and I can't remember if it was him or me that said it first, but it was, are you going? And the answer was yes, and it was, I'll see you there. And uh that's really you know, probably the first conversation between two Fremantle players, um, I would think ever. So um <laughs> so yeah, and then we got to run out at Fremantle Oval and, you know, obviously Jared Neesham and his impact. It was a it was an amazing
1: time. Jared liked quick players and he liked rapid ball movement. How did you fit into all of that?
2: <laughs> well, I I, I didn't take off the quick player one. Um, <laughs> but Jared also liked players like himself. And Jared wasn't quick, but they were smart and tactical um, and could orchestrate. And if I had any strengths, I probably would lean into some of those things. So he was always a great supporter of my footy, Jared, actually, um, even from playing against him at waffle level. So when I think about Jared, it's hard. I think what he did with a list that was put together. You know, you look at the way lists are now put together with the amount of drafting support they get. Fremantle didn't really get that. That initial year, he got that list to outperform, probably its talent, and tactically he was he was ahead of the game, and he was he was a very very good teacher. Um, so I think he's got a, he should have a um, I guess a fond place in Fremantle's history.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think he was ahead of his time, Jared, in terms of the way he thought about the game. Did that get you interested in coaching, Scott, when you were coming to the end of your career?
2: Um, part of it. Um, I can also remember um, I was always interested in, I guess, not just being a player but how good sides tick. Um, but I remember there also being a moment where, so finished at at AFL level or your body basically finishes with you. And uh John Todd convinced me to come out of almost retirement and come down and play a few games at South Rimmel. And I, I remember saying to Todddy, mate, I'm pretty broken and he said, Look, you keep yourself fit. He said just turn up in January, come down and get your leadership around the players. Toddy went away for a game that year whilst he was coaching and he actually threw me the keys to the South League team, and basically said, "You coach them this week," um, which I did. And I think that lit a fire in me. I had that; I could see that my body was just about done. But all of a sudden, there was this thing called coaching, and having that one opportunity to coach that game, um, again presented to me by John Todd, I think that that really sparked my interest, and it was a it became a. It became something that I was always going to do, I think, at some point.
1: Was that in 1997, Scott?
2: Yeah, that's right. That's right. I I, I fractured and dislocated my elbow. I feel like it was like round six of that year with South Street and that pretty much uh, closed out my career. And then there was a bit more of a focus on media. Through media, you get a great opportunity to look at a lot of different teams and how they play. And then I got lured into coaching the under-18s at Suviaco Footy Club, which was fantastic.
1: We'll take a break there and we'll come back and talk to Scott about his coaching career. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day, we're talking to Scott Waters. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
0: This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. We're talking to Scott Waters. Scott, so you got your feet wet coaching a little bit at South Annal, and then you get the job as the Colts coach at Subiaco. Tell us what sort of coach you were at the start of your coaching career.
2: I always focus very strongly on skills, uh, particularly when you start with 18s. So, you know, the fundamentals never go out of fashion. So I was very keen for players at both Colts and then at league level at Subi to just have a ball in their hand all the time. Um, you don't get as much time with players at waffle level, so it never made any sense to me that you would just spend all this time running without actually having a football time a uh, football in your hands. So. You know, from the very first moment we started, the balls were in their hands and that's the tool of the trade. So um, um, that was always a key fundamental, no matter what level that I was at. If you can't execute from a skill point of view, um, you make it very difficult to play good footy.
1: You had premiership success as a senior coach at Subiaco. How did that come about?
2: Great club. Uh, Peter German, um, who I followed, was a terrific coach. I think he, and also the board, um, maybe even more importantly, is you know, financially very stable, good board, great set-up, good administration, excellent football manager in Andrew McBean. All of those key pillars basically give an opportunity for a coach to coach the talent. Um, so just a really stable, well-organised club. Great leaders. Mark Webb was a good captain. Brad Smith... Um, people won't remember but he'd gone through knee reconstructions and we rolled the dice with Brad Smith on about round four or five and it was after three weeks of meetings with the medical staff um, and he was fit they were declaring him fit for three weeks but everyone was too scared to play him because his knees kept collapsing ultimately so in the end we said well he has to play and then he just became a pivotal figure over those two or three years 100 goals a year so good senior players. We had great young players come through too. Daniel Rich, Trent Dennis Lane, Simon White, um, just some really good young players. Always a combination of youth and experience delivers a great result.
1: You mentioned earlier in the interview you reconnected with Mick Moldhouse. How did you end up after the premiership success at Subiaco? How did you end up back at Collingwood?
2: Well, I got a, I got a phone call after we'd won two premierships in a row at Sudi, and he asked, "Would I be interested in coming across?" And I really felt that there was an opportunity still to win a third premiership, which is pretty rare. And I, I felt I owed it to the playing group to stay. So I took the risk and said, "No, Mick, I'm not. I'm not quite ready yet. And I feel like I owe this team the shot to go three in a row." We had a crack at it. We played in a grand final. We got beaten by a better side, South Mantle, on the day. But we made. You know, I'm proud that we played three three grand finals in a row. That's pretty rare. And then fortunately Mick knocked on the door again and it was then the right time to move and the whole experience of going to Collingwood, huge football club, uh it was it was a fantastic experience. We played in a not only played in a premiership or played in a grand final, we won a premiership my first year there. So that was one hell of a ride.
1: One hell of a ride. It was the year of the drawn grand final as well, Scotty. Where were you when the siren went?
2: Uh, probably about two metres away from Nick. Um, <laughs> Not a safe place to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was fascinating because right at that moment, as you could imagine, in any draw, there's there's a numbness. Um, but I actually think it's one of Nick's best ever and that coaching group's best at moments because right there and then um, we, we started planning straight away. And even to the point of that night, and it's well documented now that we still had our after-match function. We still allowed the players to go through all of those things. We didn't want to bunker down. Um, almost wanted to get over the grieving process of being in a draw quickly and then move forward. Um, and, you know, the second week, um, the, the team executed brilliantly. So uh, it, was a, it was an amazing journey. There's not many, not many that have actually um, played a role in that drawn grand final. It was a very unique experience.
1: Well, thank you very much because it ruined my end of season holiday. I had to reschedule that completely. <laughs> I was going to, I think I was flying to Thailand on the Tuesday after that, and I ended up spending the week in Melbourne and uh, and doing the replay. But you certainly gave a very commanding performance in the replay and thoroughly deserved the flag. Scott, senior coaching at AFL level at St Kilda. How did you get to be that, and what was that like?
2: I nearly ended up at Port Adelaide, so. Um, immediately post that grand final um, I was asked to go and support Matthew Primus and what didn't sit comfortably with me was that I felt like I was being sort of positioned there that if he fell over you were going to get the job and I just found that a difficult sort of position to sit in and then the St Kilda opportunity came um, which I I knew it was going to be very challenging Um, the list Was not in a great place. Um, I remember sitting with Derek Hine, the Collingwood recruiter, and I said, Can you give me a rundown on the Collingwood, the the, um, St Kilda list? And I can't actually use the swear word that he actually said on this. (laughs) But but he said, Mate, you're going to have some challenges. But I I was up for that. I wanted to have a crack at that. We won 12 games in our first year. Only Alan Jeans has ever done that at that footy club. And then the list basically fell off a cliff. so it was, it was a really challenging time um, because not many coaches really survived a rebuild of that depth. Um, and uh, it, was, it was the hardest year of coaching, really, for me, that second year, um, because we couldn't really get the club to articulate how challenging the rebuild was. Um, but the president, when I actually spoke to him about it, he said, we can't actually tell the members that because we'll lose membership. I said, well, you're going to lose them anyway because I can't stop the lack of time that's coming through. So challenging time, but also one I'm, I'm actually really thankful for going through. It taught me a lot about leadership. Um, and it's often through many, like, like everyone in life, some of those tougher times end up really defining you. So it was a, still a great opportunity to have that tough, but a great one to go through.
1: There, they've always been a slightly shambolic club too, St Kilda, haven't they? So I'd imagine in a time like that, when you need to have a clear plan, the plan at St Kilda might not have been made clear.
2: Well, history repeats itself at that club over generation after generation. So until they really dig deep and ask themselves the hard question on culturally, why they have failed, they'll never get the result that they're after. Um, it won't matter how many times they change the turnstiles on coaches. Um, but the same thing has been happening at St Kilda for 30 or 40 years. Um, it requires great and strong leadership to actually move away from that and I really don't think they ever got near it.
1: Tell us about your life after footy. What happened when you first stepped away and what are you doing now?
2: Oh, look, you take some time to sort of reassess um, and have a little bit of time to yourself. And then you know, through that period, um, obviously I had my own boys coming through those teenage years and look i kept with a great friend of mine trevor hendy and many would know from iron man fame he's a hall, hall of fame athlete and a great guy um we were looking at a lot of the challenges that you know youth were facing and now it's a common topic when we talk about youth and mental health but six six or seven years ago it wasn't really so we just we just wanted to create some opportunities for young people to build stronger foundations so they're navigating the challenges really that come their way. Um, The statistics around anxiety, depression, new suicide are not something that I don't think any of us can accept. So we're now working with 40,000 young people in Australia and New Zealand and our programs are growing and uh, I'd like to think we're supporting the next generation to to come through and be their best if that's a footy player fantastic but it might just be a brilliant artist or a engineer or whatever and i think we owe that to the next group coming
1: through so what's the name of the foundation scott where 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 can people get in touch with you
2: yeah lifechanger.org.au um they can jump on there and have a look at the program we're running from year five right through to year 12 and we also train mentors in local communities to come in and play a role around the young people in their communities. So um, our team is doing some great work.
1: Is this the most satisfying you've done in your life? Clearly, you've done a lot in footy and achieved a lot, but but something like this where you reach out and help young people in particular, how gratifying is that? Yeah, it's. Um,
2: I think if I, if I reflect on my journey so far, I've had three amazing opportunities. I've had sporting opportunities through playing and coaching. I worked for four years in Bankshire Hill Detention Centre in Perth, working with 70% Indigenous boys. And I think I learned more from them than they did from me, but it was just uh, it was an amazing opportunity to connect with young people. And then obviously now as CEO and founder of Life Changer, I feel really uh, there's, something, there's something great you get back when you're actually working with particularly young kids. So um, I've had some great roles. i are very thankful and feel very privileged.
1: Do you watch the game much now and do you like the game particularly with the changes we've seen over the last couple of years with uh, the move back towards faster footy
2: If I say I don't like it it just makes me sound old um, <laughs> I tell you what I did love I loved the Collingwood Port Adelaide game obviously last week you won't get a better exhibition of footy than that when it's sometimes I I miss um the one-on-one contests ahead of the ball a little bit more. I I do miss a little bit the opportunity to see a a Peter Matera type actually have a bounce or two on the wing. Um, I think that's still a fair way out of our game. But as far as skill level, their preparation, the fierceness of the contest, I think we've still got a great game. And I think it will continue to evolve. I think some of the changes they've made have, loosened it up a little bit again. The six 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 rule, I think, is great. Um, so I think they'll... I hope they continue to tinker around the edges without really changing the overall look of the game. But it's still a great game. In fact, I think it's the best game in the world.
1: Couldn't agree with you more, Scotty. Congratulations on what has been a life well spent, not just in footy, but also after footy in helping younger people in our community. This has been Inspiring Sports Stories and we've been talking to Scott Waters. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.